passage. It can be found on page 1002 in the Church Bibles if you want to read along for yourself. So Matthew 26, starting at verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my, this is my blood of a covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of a vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of a flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said of him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there to pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be, at all, if it be possible, let the cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Steve is now going to come and speak from this passage. Thank you very much, Nick. Uh, we're going to focus in on just uh, six verses in the middle of that reading, verses 33 to 35, um, as we think about it together. But before we do that, let me pray. Uh, Father, for... Um, uh, for these accounts, uh, for understanding these accounts of uh, Jesus as he moves towards his death, and um, we come to uh, uh, the gravest uh, and uh, also the most glorious parts of the accounts of uh, his life. 
Um, we pray that you would uh, grant us your aid. Uh, please enable us to uh, understand, um, to reflect rightly upon what you've caused to be written here, uh, that we might understand it and respond to it as you would want. For Jesus' sake. Amen. The, the issue I want to, to kind of um, pick up on this morning um, is the issue of Christian confidence. Um, to, to, to ask, I suppose, amongst other things, how much confidence is it appropriate um, for a Christian to have? Let, I mean, let, let's suppose that you are a Christian believer. Um, how do you think it should go? Should you be absolutely 100% rock-solid certain that you're saved and that you're going to heaven? You know, should it be uh, an issue of absolute clarity for you? No, not a glimmer of doubt. Sure, confident uh, of your salvation. Or... Or is there something just a little bit, kind of, I don't know, um, a little bit off-putting about that kind of sort of smug self-confidence? Don't you often find, and maybe you're, maybe you're somebody who thinks this, that one of the things you find most difficult about Christians and the Christian faith is that they always seem a little bit sort of smug, a little bit self-righteous, a little bit presumptuous. And you kind of feel like a little, little bit more humility wouldn't go amiss instead of this sort of slightly strutting, you know, we've got the answers, we're on our way to heaven, look at us, aren't we great? Yeah, you know, it's the thing that really puts you off about Christianity. Um, or or t- t- take a different angle on this issue of, of confidence in the Christian faith. Because you, you sometimes find people who say, do you know, what I find with Christianity is it, it's really undermining of confidence. Um, it feels sort of corrosive. Because Christians seem to be permanently on about sin and failure. Um, always talking about how people muck up. Um, and, and, and this business of, you know, you've got so much to be forgiven for. There's something sort of unerringly bleak. Uh, constantly telling people how bad they are. We don't need a religion like that. You know, if I'm going to go for a religion, I'd like a religion that sort of builds me up a bit, kind of helps me to feel good about myself, uh, gives me a little bit of sort of grounds for feeling positive instead of constantly running me down, telling me what a bad person I am. So why can't Christianity be a little bit more upbeat, focus on some positives instead of wallowing in failure? It's very depressing. So what do we think? How is it with Christianity and confidence? Well, the the passage here, and particularly those central verses of the interchange between Jesus and Peter, make for fascinating reading, don't they? Um, Imagine, I don't know quite why, but let's imagine that you had the responsibility for choosing the little stories that you were going to pick to go in Matthew's Gospel. Because, I mean, it's pretty short, isn't it, really? Three years. Somebody's been pretty selective. If you were choosing the account of Jesus' life that's going to be presented to the church in order to help this new 
Christian church thing that's just got underway to really take off and flourish, um, would you go for this one? Would you choose a little story that describes how the leader of your brand new church in Jerusalem, Peter, made such a pig's ear of things? I mean, it wouldn't be top of your list, would it? I mean, talk about undermining confidence in in the man who's in charge. You know, here's Peter, he's preached the sermon on Pentecost, you know, looks as though you're on a bit of a roll, you know, crest of a wave, great stuff, and then, oh, look look what he did. Made a bit of a fool of himself here, didn't he? Not sure I can trust him after all. I mean, it feels as though it would undermine confidence in the leader of your church, wouldn't it, to have an episode like this recorded? So why do they do it? Why not edit it out? I mean, there's lots of positive things you could pick on. You know, let's major on Peter, you're the rock, and on this rock I will build my church. You know, let's big that up. Just sweep this to one side. But here it is. What do we make of it? I guess I want to focus on on one key question as we think about confidence. When a person becomes a Christian believer, what is the basis of their confidence to be? Is it about their commitment to Christ? Or is it about Christ's commitment to them? Let's look at this under a couple of headings. Um, Let's think first about the wrong grounds for confidence. So you remember the the setting here. We've we've just read how Jesus has been speaking about his body um, and his blood being uh, poured out as they've had this Passover meal together. The whole mood of it is desperately bleak. Jesus has been talking about betrayal. He's been talking about his death. Um, And the the meal ends, we're told, uh, in verse 30, with the singing of a hymn. I I take it that um, probably when I survey the wondrous cross, might have gone down a little bit better than shine, Jesus, shine at this point, don't you reckon? I mean, you've got to go for something pretty somber at this moment. And almost at once, Jesus adds to the, to the sense of, of gloom um, with his next pronouncement. Verse 31, Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Uh, Jesus is quoting uh, from um, one of the Old Testament prophets, Zechariah. It's a fascinating uh, little quotation, really. When you look at it in the original, um, the words are the words of the Lord of hosts, the, the words of the, the God of the armies. And he, he is speaking, as it were, to his own sword. Um, and it's as if he's saying, uh, Arise, uh, awake, O sword. Awake against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. It's as if God is saying, my sword of judgment is going to fall, and bizarrely it's going to fall on the man stood next to me, my shepherd, and it will lead to the scattering of my people. And Peter, of course, wants none of this. 
uh, and uh, immediately, as he so often does, sort of fizzes straight back. Verse 33, Peter answered Jesus, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Strikingly confident, isn't it? See, he's saying, Jesus, they might fall, not me. Now, I can see all of them falling away, all of those other disciples, but yeah, no, no, not me. Because uh, I am with you forever. I will never, ever fail you. Which is good, isn't it? I mean, it's what you're after. Commitment. Loyalty. It's what you want in a disciple, isn't it? I mean, hasn't Jesus said that he wants people who are going to take up their cross and follow him? I mean, it looks good up to this point. You kind of think, you know, if, if Peter's going to lead the church, well, this is the sort of verve, the, the sort of zip, uh, the kind of determination that you want. But look what Jesus says to him. Verse 34. Truly I tell you, this very night, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. There's Peter promising eternal loyalty. Jesus says, you won't last the night. Peter says, nothing is going to force me from your side. Jesus says, no, actually you're going to choose to deny me. Peter says, all the others may go away, I won't. Jesus actually, before the cock crows, before dawn, on three separate occasions, you'll deny knowing anything about me. But Peter won't have it. Peter comes back as another dip. Uh, verse 35. No, Jesus, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. You, you, you can't really fault Peter's confidence. It, I mean, it, it, it's top-notch, isn't it? I mean, it's bold, strong words. Uh, only the problem is that Jesus is trying to get him to understand that his confidence is paper-thin. It's words which aren't going to be backed up by his actions. And I don't imagine I'm spoiling the story to tell you that far from dying with Jesus, Peter proves unable to stay awake with Jesus. So that in the garden as Jesus sweats blood, Peter snoozes. Just over the page, when the men with the swords arrive, Peter and all of the others abandon him and flee. And at the moment that Jesus is fronting up to torture and in trial, Peter is unable to cope with an interrogation from a servant girl. You were with him, weren't you? She says. I don't know what you mean. I don't know what you're on about. You, you, you were one of them, surely. I don't, I, I don't know the man. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself. I do not know him. Now, there's something very horrible about it, this, this sort of utter abject failure. Grand, bold words that 
within moments are standing in stark contrast with this, this failure um, to, to live up to all that he's promised. And it, it is a puzzling. Why would you include it? Why undermine one of your main leaders in this way? Unless this incident is actually really important for our understanding of the very way that salvation works. Unless there's something here that will help us get the gospel. And I think that is the point. So you come back to, come back to my main question again. When a person becomes a Christian, what is the basis for their confidence? Is it their commitment to Christ? Or is it Christ's commitment to them? Come to a second heading. If we've seen the wrong grounds for confidence in self, begin to see the reason for real confidence. Imagine Peter had been a hero. Um, imagine that Peter had stood by Jesus. Um, imagine you'd been, he'd been arrested alongside him, crucified alongside him, even. It would be easy, wouldn't it, to end up thinking that, hmm, well, maybe salvation then is conditional. You know, maybe Jesus only saves those who prove themselves worthy of him. Maybe Jesus only saves those who have got the courage to stand by him. Because we get that idea of conditional salvation, don't we? Uh, it's, it's the way the world works. Um, uh, Abby, our daughter, taking her A-levels at the moment, uh, and she has a conditional offer from a university. And she and we and everyone else knows the deal. You, know, you get the grades, then you get the place. It's a conditional offer. If you don't get the grades, you won't get the place. But the, this salvation... What Jesus is doing here is unconditional. This is a salvation that comes to us regardless of performance. What Peter does doesn't come into it. Actually, unconditional is almost... Um, to call it unconditional is almost not enough, actually. Um, maybe it would be better to describe it as counter-conditional. Because um, this salvation comes not in the absence of Peter's commitment, but it comes in the face of his denial of Jesus, in the face of all that he does. It, it's very striking, actually. If, um, if you look up Luke's account of um, this episode with the cock crowing and the denials, if you look at Luke's account, then at the moment... that the as Peter denies Jesus for the third time, and as the cock crows, Peter tells us that Jesus turns and looks. Sorry, Jesus turns and looks at Peter, catches his eye. You know, as he's making you know, the, the, the third denial just out of his mouth, the cock still crowing, Jesus looks at him as if willing him to remember. And Peter is undone as he 
sees Jesus, fixed his eyes. I told you this would happen, Peter. And he's undone. And he leaves and weeps bitterly at the awfulness of his betrayal. But Jesus isn't being cruel. He's not being cruel. Jesus wants Peter to understand. It is as if, as he fixes his eyes upon him, it's as if Jesus is saying, even though you are doing that, I am still doing this. As I listen to you deny me, I don't say, oh, well, that's it then, forget it. No salvation for you. No, I'm not going to go through with this if that's, that's the best you can offer. No, no, no. Even as Peter is doing that, Jesus is doing this for him. It's counter-conditional. In spite of rebellion, in, in the face of betrayal, Jesus loves enough to die. So let me ask again, where is your confidence? Is it in your commitment to Christ or in Christ's commitment to you? I hope we're beginning to see why this matters, beginning to see why the writers chose to include this episode in the gospel accounts. Because it begins to reveal to us that actually we'll only ever know true confidence, not the fragile sort of confidence that Peter had in himself. Now, you'll only find real confidence when you set that aside. When you admit your inabilities. There's a story told of um, a young, uh, well-educated man at an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, uh, AA meeting. And you know how it is at AA meetings that people get up and tell their story. Um, and so this young, well-educated man got up and, and the story he had to tell about how it is that he'd ended up uh, as an alcoholic um, was all about the way that the world had done him badly. All sorts of um, people who'd let him down. Um, miserable situations that had turned against him through no fault of his own. Um, person after person who'd um, just done badly by him. Uh, and as he described this sort of desperate situation that he was in, it, it, all of it was somebody else's fault. Uh, and when he was done with his story um, and he sat down, uh, there, there was a big black guy next to him, Rastafarian. And this guy leant over and whispered in his ear. I used to feel that way too, he said, before I achieved low self-esteem. Which is a great line, but it's also a really important line. You see, what he meant was, as long as the young man went on explaining his difficulties by blaming the world, by picking on other people, instead of admitting his own inabilities, instead of facing up to his own weakness, there was no salvation for him. 
there would be no way out of his addiction. He had to admit that he was flawed. He had to admit his need for help and stop pretending he could do it on his own. Now, spiritually, you and I are exactly the same. As long as we insist on finding confidence, spiritual confidence in ourselves, we will never possess it. It is only when you get to the point of acknowledging that there is nothing within you or me that can give us spiritual security and confidence that we will ever find it. And you see, that's what was happening to Peter. See, which, which Peter do you want to lead your church? Do you, want, do you want the Peter full of fragile self-confidence? Or do you want the Peter who has been emptied of any confidence in himself and found the resting place for real confidence, which is to be found in a saviour who will die for him, despite his failings. See, even as Peter was weeping for his shame at having denied Jesus over and over and over again, even as he was weeping, he was on his way to a new insight that Jesus was ready to love him regardless of his failures. Not a conditional love, only if you do really well, Peter, then I'll be for you. Not even an unconditional love, but a counter-conditional love, a love that loves us even as we turn against uh, the one who loves. Where are you rooting confidence this morning? Is, Is it really finally confidence in your commitment to Christ? Or is it a confidence that comes out of Christ's commitment to you? There's a verse we missed out, isn't there? Um, Verse 32. Having told them that the shepherd will be struck and the sheep of the flock scattered, Jesus then adds, but after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. This is God's plan. Even as the disciples, miserable, fed up, despondent, despairing, hopes ruined, sort of, even as it were, as they begin to trudge home, Jesus is going to be there ahead of them, ready to regather them, ready to provide for them, risen. So can you see that real confidence isn't to be found in the, in the quality of our commitment to Jesus? No, real confidence is only found in the quality of Christ's commitment to us. But, but maybe you, you want to maybe you want to come back and say, "Hang on!" But I have still got to believe, haven't I? Yeah, maybe you're somebody who doesn't yet believe, and you think, "Well, it's all very well, but it's not just about Christ's commitment to me, is it?" I mean, I have I've got to have faith. I've got to believe in this salvation. So maybe it is all ultimately. I mean, that, that's where security is found in the quality of my faith. In the fact that I, that I really, really, really do believe this. Imagine you are falling from a cliff. I'm quite sure 
why this has happened, but you are. You're falling down this cliff, and there are rocks below, hundreds of feet below you, um, and um, they're quite hard rocks, as rocks tend to be. Uh, you're heading for certain death. Uh, you're on the way down the cliff face. Uh, and as you fall, you see a tiny branch sticking out of the cliff. And it occurs to you to reach out and grab it. Now, just to think for a minute, on what basis will this tiny branch save you? Will this tiny branch, will it save you on the, on the basis of, I don't know, the intensity of your faith? Yeah, so that as you reach out, you think, I know, without a shadow of a doubt, I know that this stick can save me. So you, can get, you gaze down at the rocks. Ha, rocks. I'm not frightened of you anymore. I know for sure that this branch can save me. I know it. You know, deep, profound faith in the branch. Is that what you need to be saved? Yeah, you don't need that to be saved, do you? I mean, an incy-wincy bit of faith will do. I mean, even just a glimmer of, well, you know, maybe, just maybe, this might hold me. And on that basis, you reach out and grab it. That'll do, won't it? That's enough. You'll be saved if the stick, the branch, out of the cliff face is strong enough. Not because of the strength of your faith in the branch. You have next to no confidence. Just enough to bother to reach out. And it'll still save you. You see, in that situation, your salvation depends on the quality of the branch, not the quality of your faith in it. And the reason that you and I can be saved is because Jesus went to the cross for us. Not because we really, 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 really have believed that that's the way of our salvation. And it's all based on what he has done. Now, do you see where this takes a person? Do you see what happens inside a person's life when they get this counter-conditional gospel? Maybe today you are thinking to yourself, actually, you know, my Christian life is going pretty poorly. You know, I'm limping along as a Christian. You know, just, just I feel I'm just not, you know, not managing much in the Christian life. And you sense, you know, what you've got to do is you've, got to, you've just got to summon up more faith. That's what's needed. You've got to show a bit more faith in Jesus. You sort of try and screw up your courage and, and try and be a bolder, braver believer. It's not the way forward, is it? No, the, the way forward, the way to find Christian confidence is to admit your inability. Stop trying to do it yourself and acknowledge that you need him to do it for you. Let him help you. Find the confidence that is to be found in knowing that it is all about his commitment to you. And this picture of Jesus going to the cross, even for a Peter who has denied him 
three times. That's the picture of the extent of Jesus' commitment to us. See, when you get to the far side of the resurrection, what will it be like? Will Peter be smug? He won't be smug, will he? He will be a humbled man, the far side of the resurrection, as he remembers what he did. But will Peter be confident? Yeah, 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 he'll be confident, won't he? Because he has seen what Jesus was willing to do for him, even him. How is it with you and I this morning? If you're a Christian, are you confident as a Christian? And if so, is it confidence in your commitment to Jesus? Or have you understood that real confidence comes from seeing the scale of his commitment to you and me? Should a Christian be confident? Absolutely. Should a Christian be smug? Never. Let me lead us in a prayer. Father, we thank you for the way in which these um, final accounts of the death of Jesus, as he becomes increasingly isolated, uh, as it is clear that the salvation that he will achieve uh, will be all of him, uh, he alone, uh, bearing uh, the judgment, uh, feeling uh, the striking of your sword of judgment upon him that belongs to us. And that as he bears that for us, uh, even when we are fickle, uh, even when uh, our, uh, our faith, uh, uh, our commitment to you uh, is uh, vanishing or even uh, denied. Uh, so we see the scale and the extent of your love for us. Uh, so we see the security that is to be found, uh, that you would love us like this. Uh, Father, please would, uh, would you help us in seeing this uh, to become those who are confident in you, uh, but whose confidence is a humble confidence. Uh, knowing that this is the salvation that was needed for us. Uh, We pray in Christ's name. Amen.